The second reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4. You can find the text of that printed in your bulletins. Hear the word of God. Therefore, while, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any one of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, I have sworn in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of, of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we are the people that you have called out of bondage, and you have set us on a journey which culminates in a promised land, and you have given us the testimony of those who have gone before to be instruction and an example for us, and we pray this day that as we look at their story, and as we look at the prophets who lived after their time and how they commented on their story, I pray that we might see ourselves and our circumstances this morning in the pages of Scripture. Lord, this will not happen by my eloquence, but it will happen by the power of your Spirit. And so we ask for your help this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So today is the last day of the book of Numbers. I don't know about 
Jude, I, I'm kind of a little sad about this. Okay, we've been we've been in the Book of Numbers since the first Sunday of January, uh, and here we we've, we've come to the end of it. We've actually ends on a kind of an odd note this, that we revisited the story of the allotment of the land of uh, Zelophehad. You remember back in Numbers 27. Those of you who are regulars around here will remember back in Numbers 27 that. Uh, Zelophe had died while he was on the journey uh, to the promised land. And Moses says, well, the land is going to be divided up among the different families by lot. And uh, the daughters of Zelophehad, there were only daughters, there were no sons of Zelophehad, they go to Moses and say, well, what about our dad? He doesn't have any sons. He's died outside of the land. If he doesn't have an inheritance in his land, well, his name is going to disappear. So Moses takes the matter to God that this particular point of the law hadn't been covered uh, in the Ten Commandments. And so he goes to God and God makes a ruling on this matter. Yes, the daughters of Zelophehad get the land so that the name of the father can live on in the land. Now here in chapter 36, we revisit the, the situation regarding Zelophehad's daughter. And, and again, the concern here is about maintaining the legacy of this man in the promised land. Well, what if the daughters marry outside of the family? What if they marry someone from someone else's tribe? Then the land's going to go off to their tribe and it'll no longer be in our tribe. And so Moses comes down with another ruling. Okay. You've got to marry one of your cousins so that the land stays in the family. And that's the end of the story. The book of Numbers is the story of the pilgrimage of God's people from a land of bondage to the promised land. In the book of Numbers, we don't have any accounts of what happened in bondage. They're already out of slavery, and we've got no accounts of what it's going to be like in the promised land. They're not there yet. The whole time is on the way. And this is why I think the book of Numbers is a perfect book for Christian people, particularly Christian people who've been born into the faith, because it's the story of our lives. We have been rescued from bondage by the death of Jesus Christ, but we're not yet where we're going. We're on our way someplace. And during the time that we're in this pilgrimage, God is teaching us things and he's forming us as his people and he's shaping us to prepare us to live in his promised land. For us, the promised land is not Canaan. For us, the promised land is New Jerusalem. There will come a day when Jesus will appear again in heaven. The whole world is going to see him simultaneously. Okay, we call this the second coming. First coming was at his birth, the first advent. There will be a second advent. Jesus will return. And the whole world is going to see him in that moment. And after that, this world is going to pass away. Okay, so those of you who are trying to save this world, I just want to tell you that your efforts are going to be lost. Okay, if you're investing in this world, your investment will be lost. Okay, this is why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All right, this world will pass away, but there will be a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. And John gives us this vision in the book of Revelation of a city coming out of heaven and landing on the new earth. And this is going to be the habitation of all of God's people. 
Okay? God will be there. All of the saints will be there. They'll be gathered from all tribes and all nations, from all times. They're going to be living together in this city. Okay? Humankind began their story with God in the garden. That was on earth. God was present on earth. He came to earth. He visited with us. It was fine. Sin gets in the way. That relationship is ruptured. God has to remove himself from that situation. But when God finally brings the salvation of all things to pass, the consummation of all of the work of Christ, it's going to mean that God can return and be living with his people. And it's not going to be in a garden anymore. It's going to be in a city. Okay? And that city is called New Jerusalem. And that's where we're going. All right? I want you to keep your eyes on that city. Don't get, too, don't get too attached to this world that you're living in now. This is not a permanent place. Philadelphia is not a permanent place. But the New Jerusalem is a permanent place. Amen. So we come to the end of the book. And I want to think back about where we've been a little bit. And as I was reading through this book again this week, I had to read it from beginning to end to kind of re remind myself of where, of where we had been, I was reminded that sometimes we just want to rest. When the road has been long, when the fighting has been fierce, when the troubles have been never ending, we just, we just want to rest. We want to come home. We want to come to our own place. We want to come to a safe place. We want to go where our borders are secure and where the water supply is pure and our pasture land is wide open and green. We want to rest from the strife. And sometimes, after a productive week, after a satisfying week, after six days of everything coming up roses, we still want to rest. We want to put our feet up and savor the victories we've earned with our honest labor. Sometimes we just, we just want to rest. But that doesn't mean that we don't enjoy an adventure. We do. We like to see what's around the next bend is so much the better if no one else has ever been around that bend themselves. Doesn't mean that we're afraid of hard work or of struggle. We like to push ourselves to the next level doesn't mean that we don't like the heat of battle because we know that only in the heat of battle we discover what we're made of because only in the heat of battle do we earn our bragging rights. But sometimes we just want to rest. Maybe just for a minute to catch our breath so that we can get back into the fray with our strength renewed. Maybe for a day to enjoy the sweetness of the week that we've had. Or maybe for good. Because we just wish the struggle would be over. Here is a basic biblical truth that we need to keep in mind. We were made for work. God made a garden and he put us in the garden to take care of the garden. We were made for work and we were made to take a break from that work once a week to rest and to enjoy what we had accomplished. We were made for work, but the work that we were made for wasn't supposed to beat us down or to wear us out or to kill us. It wasn't even supposed to make us sweat 
death and disease and sweating, you'll recall, are all the consequence of the fall. The way the world is now is not how God intended it to be. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul talks about the whole creation groaning. Somehow, even though we have never lived in paradise, we know how it is supposed to be. And with a groan too deep for words, we long for, we hope for God's restoration of the creation. We haven't seen it. But we have a vision of the promised land. We have a longing for the promised land built right into our God-ordained DNA. Saying that you look forward to the rest that God has promised his people, that doesn't mean that you're lazy. It just means that you want things to be the way that they're supposed to be. The Bible promises that God will give us rest from all of our enemies. And the final enemy is death itself. In the world to come, in a city called New Jerusalem, all will be set right. God will be present with his people. The enemies will be vanquished. There will no longer be sickness or death. There will not even be rot or decay. Oh, we still have work to do when we get to that place. We're not going to be bored in the new Jerusalem. But our work will be meaningful and it will be satisfying and it won't be spoiled by thieves or disease or corruption. And when we take our Sabbath rest from our labors, it will be to take a pause and to take it all in and say, this is good. This is very good. The Israelites who had been living in Egypt for 400 years, they labored and they were heavily laden. They were slaves in a wealthy land. At the time Moses was born, Israelite boys were being killed by law. Because Pharaoh was afraid of these people becoming too numerous and too powerful. And the people cried out. And God heard them. And God sent a redeemer. And that redeemer's name was Moses, a man with a stutter, who was supposed to have been killed as a baby. And the book of Exodus tells us the story of Moses' showdown with Pharaoh. It tells us about the ten plagues. And about the first Passover, it tells us about crossing the Red Sea on dry ground and the army of Pharaoh being swallowed up in that same sea. It tells us about the Israelites reaching Mount Sinai and Moses going up to receive the law from God. And it tells us about the Israelites making a golden calf while he was up on the mountain. The book of Numbers picks up where the book of Exodus leaves off. The children of Israel have been rescued from slavery in Egypt, but they have a long way to go to Canaan, to the Promised Land. For 400 years, the Israelites lived as slaves among pagans. If your people live as slaves for 400 years, you will think like a slave. If your people live amongst pagans for 400 years, you will think like a pagan. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Our salvation requires that we think differently from our environment. Our salvation requires that we think differently from the surrounding culture. This surrounding culture is not going to save you. Okay? There is no political party that's going to save you or to save this world. And if, if your hope is in that, you're, you're damned. Okay? We have to think differently from this world if we are to be saved. Our minds must be renewed. God uses the journey to the promised land to begin to change the minds of these people little bit by little bit, to change their thinking, to begin to shape them into the kind of people, the kind of nation that he wants them to be, a free people. A people who are God-focused, a people who trust God, a people who are obedient to God. Chapter 1 begins with a census, just so that we know how many of these people there are, and there's a lot of them. Chapter 2, the camp is arranged. Okay, This is biblical urban planning. Chapter 3 and 4, the priesthood is set up. Keep in mind, these people had no organized religion before. They had no clergy. They had no priests. Chapter 5 and 6, there are specialized laws given to cover things that are not mentioned in the Ten Commandments. Chapter 7 through 10, the tabernacle is dedicated. Worship begins for the first time. Under God's law, the second Passover is celebrated. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night marks God's presence and guiding in that camp. Oh, and then also in chapter 10 comes the big moment. Chapter 10, the second part of chapter 10, there's a signal that's given to the Israelites that it's time to move. They've been camped at Mount Sinai for a year. One year they've been there after their escape from Egypt, a year in which they receive the law of God, in which they get their, their worship system set up, in which they get their camp fully arranged, and now the things are set up, and it's time for them to move. I think all of us get a big moment in life, a moment when God says, okay, Enough of this getting set up and learning the basics. Now it's time to go somewhere. I've had three big moments in my life. The first came when I was in the fourth grade. And I went to my father and I asked him, what do I need to do to be saved? I had been raised in the church. My father was a pastor. I knew all of the Bible stories. There was never a time when I didn't believe in God, when I didn't believe that Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God. But in the fourth grade, God called me to respond to all of that stuff that I had learned along the way. And it was an electrifying moment for me, a moment of decision for me. Now, some of our young people here this morning have not yet taken their stand with Christ. Now, maybe they believe in Jesus as the Son of God. But have you professed publicly your faith in Christ? The truth is, as long as we are hanging out in a non-committal area where we're believing but not professing, I believe these things about Jesus, but I've never stood and said, you know, 
I belong to Jesus. As long as we're in that place, we are in danger. Romans 10, Apostle Paul speaking. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Two things are going on there. For it is with your heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Amen. Believing? Good. Even the devils believe. Confessing? That's an act of commitment. That's like taking your vows when you get married. Okay? Believing is great, but we are also commanded to confess or to profess Christ with our mouths publicly. Okay, there, are no, there are no secret Christians. There are no private Christians. It's not just between you and Jesus. Okay, it's between you and the world. Those of you who are believing but have not yet been baptized, you need to get baptized. It's a command in Scripture. It's not advice. It's not optional. Believe and be baptized is the command of Scripture. Those of you who were baptized as infants and believe but have not yet publicly professed your faith, you need to do it. We call that confirmation in a Presbyterian church. You need to stand up and be counted. It's the first big moment. My second big moment came when I was 30 years old. I was recovering from more than a decade of wandering away from the church, and God called me back to himself. He called me back through regular public worship. The people of God are called to regular public worship. That's what you're doing here this morning. We Christians don't come to church because we're inspired. And we don't come to church to get inspired. We come to church because God tells us to come to church. Amen. And when we obey, we will be inspired. We will be filled with his word. And we will give him the worship that he deserves. Intentional public worship means that we put God first on our calendar. We don't book up our weekend and then say, oh, I've got some time left over. I guess I'll go to church. Not if you're a Christian. A Christian puts God first. And then if there's time left over, we go to soccer practice or we go fishing or we go visit our relatives. Since God called me back to himself when I was 30, I don't think I've missed church two Sundays running that whole time. And the third big moment for me came when I was 40 years old. Good things happen to old people too. <laughs> 40 years old. God called me to seminary. And part of the calling to me was him saying to me, you know, I am not content that you believe in me. I want you also to follow me. And in my case, that meant following him into ordained ministry. It's not for everybody. I don't even recommend it. <laughs> I think all of us, however, get big moments in life. A moment when God says, Okay, the setup has been great. I'm glad you've learned the basics. Now it's time to follow me. In my life, I've had three of those moments. And for the Israelites, it was the moment when God said, Okay, pack up. We're going to go to the promised land now. Because God did not rescue a people for himself so that they can live in a wilderness. 
God rescued them uh, so that they could be living with him in the promised land. Well, you remember how the story works out. The signal comes for the people to move, to move forward, to leave Egypt forever in the past, and immediately the trouble starts. Chapter 11, the big people begin to complain. Chapter 12, Moses' own brother and sister try to effect a coup d'etat. And then in chapter 13, the rescued people refuse to enter the rest that God has offered them. And they're condemned to die in the wilderness. Just one year after the escape from Egypt, spies were sent out into the promised land to prepare the way. And when the spies come back, the people have a choice. You can trust God or you can trust yourselves. Except for Joshua and Caleb, the Israelites refused to trust God. They were afraid to enter the promised land. They revolt against Moses and they want to find a new leader. They actually want to return to Egypt and to slavery. Think of that for a minute. God offers freedom and the promised land and the children of Israel say, Hey, no, 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 not so fast. Take us back to Egypt. You know, because back in Egypt, we had onions and melons and the fish were free. I want to go back. Does that sound like crazy talk? Have you ever heard someone who is stuck in addiction? Have you ever listened to yourself when you keep coming back? to the same old sin again and again, no matter how many times you've been burned, no matter how many times you've regretted it and asked for help. Lots and lots of people cry out and complain to God about how hard their circumstances are, but when God shows them a new way to live, a new way to think, all too often they say, are you crazy, God? I asked you to save me, not to change me. Salvation always requires change. Amen. 100% of the time. If the way we were doing things before we called on God was good enough, we wouldn't have called on God. The very first word in Jesus' preaching, who remembers it? The, repent! The very first word out of his mouth, the first word of his first sermon is repent. It wasn't an altar call. It was the introduction to the sermon. Repent. Repent just means turn around. It means stop doing what you're currently doing. Go in a new direction. Stop thinking the way that you were thinking. Start thinking in a new way. Repentance is required of every single person who wants to follow Jesus. It is actually the thing that makes it hard to follow Jesus because nobody naturally wants to turn away from what they have been doing. Okay? We got where we are because we were following our, our natural instincts. And when God says, well, that's not working, but here's something new. I want you to do something new. It's always a struggle. It's always hard. 
God makes the offer of a new life and we can choose to accept it or we can refuse the offer. In Numbers chapter 14, God speaks to the Israelites and he says, Caleb and Joshua will enjoy what you refuse to accept. You will die in this desert. For 40 years, you will suffer for your sins. God offers, but we can refuse. God offers, but we can harden our hearts. When God offers us new life, when God offers us a promised land, it means that we need to turn our backs on what we had before. Each of us is coming out of one Egypt or another. We need to turn aside from the path that we were on and we need to enter into a new way. The straight way, the narrow way that leads to life. Psalm 95 was our call to worship this morning. I actually had to change the bulletins because, uh, yeah, sorry, Jordan. <laughs> I was working on this sermon yesterday and realized, wow, Psalm 95 is the best commentary on the book of Numbers. Psalm 95 takes up the story of the book of Numbers. It mentions Meribah and Massah. These are places where the people of God grumbled and complained against God, even while he's trying to rescue them. In the psalm this morning, we read, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation. I said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they would not enter my rest. Now, Psalm 95 is not a, a psalm of damnation. It's actually a psalm of praise to God. And joined with that praise of God, there's a word of warning to the congregation who is singing. And remember, all of these psalms would be sung in public worship the way we sing our hymns. All right? So there you are in the congregation, and you're singing the word of God. It's a great way to get that word down into your heart. It's why our hymns need to reflect the word of God. In that word, we have this warning to the congregation who is singing it. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So, let me say this. Not everybody hears the voice of God. And not everybody hears the voice of God all the time. But when you do, huh, okay, that's when you grab hold of it, okay? God will, God will speak to you, okay? And when, when you hear, grab hold of it, right? If, you're not, if you haven't heard, don't fret about it too much. You can ask to hear. You can always pray to God, you know, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to see you. And he'll, he'll answer that prayer. But when you hear... Do not harden your heart. Everyone singing this song would have known the story of Numbers, of course, and how terrible it turned out for the people who had hardened their heart. Wow, what a, what, what a story of regret. So close. You were, you were rescued from slavery. You were brought right to the edge of the promised land. God's going to offer this to you. 
Oh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm too scared. They're giants. And then for 40 years of regret, and then they just die in the wilderness. Today, if you hear his voice, trust in God. Take off for the promised land. Don't be afraid. Enter the rest that God is offering you. Our second reading this morning was from Hebrews chapter 4, which is also a wonderful commentary on the book of Numbers. We still have the promise that God gave to those people, we read, to the Israelites. That promise that we can enter his place of rest. You remember when we started the sermon series, we read the passage in the New Testament that told us that the things that happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, that those things were, they happened and were recorded for us to be lessons to us. We have an example in the children of Israel of somebody being offered the opportunity to receive the promised land. God said that he was giving it to them. And then one day he said, okay, now's the time. We're, we're going to go. We're all, we're all set up. All of the preliminary work's been done. Now's the time to go. If you hear God's voice today, don't be stubborn. That's what we read in Hebrews 4, 7. If ever there were a verse that should be my life verse, it should be that one. If you hear God's voice today, don't be stubborn. That's me. That's my middle name. Stubborn. So what about you? What's God calling you to today? What's he calling you away from? Part of your past you need to leave behind. What's he calling you toward? What better life does he have in mind for you? If you are tired of the way you have been living, then listen to Jesus when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, for I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Sometimes we just want to rest. When the road has been long, when the fight has been fierce, when the troubles have been never-ending, we just want to rest. We want to come home to our own place, to a safe place, to where our borders are secure, to where our water supply is pure, to where our pasture land is wide open and green. That place has a name. It's called the New Jerusalem. Amen. And the way there is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus invites you to follow him. Yeah. It'll be good for this life. <laughs> but it'll be good forevermore. Let us pray.
pray that you would replace our fear with courage. For those of us who have a hard time trusting, because so often we have been betrayed, Lord, I pray that we can trust you. Lord, we thank you for the invitation to step into life and into new life. We thank you that through the body of Christ, a a new way has been opened. Salvation not by our own good deeds, but salvation by the good work of Christ and his blood spilled to pay for our sins. Lord, we don't understand all of that, but we just pray that you would give us enough faith to grab hold of that. Help us to follow you this day. Lord, I pray that you would wean us from our love of Egypt, whatever Egypt we've carried around with us. And I pray that you would make our hearts long for you. And I pray that we would stand up be counted as your own. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.